Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hello, thank you for standing by and welcome to Imperial for quarter 2021 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference may be recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Dave Hughes. Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our fourth quarter earnings call. I'll start by introducing uh, you to the management team we have in attendance. Uh, Brad Corson, Chairman, President, and CEO. Dan Lyons, Senior Vice President of Finance and Administration. Simon Younger, Senior Vice President of the Upstream. Sherry Evers, Vice President of Commercial and Corporate Development. And John Wetmore, Vice President of the Downstream. So I'll quickly go over the cautionary statement. Today's comments include reference to non-GAAP financial measures. The definitions and reconciliations of these measures can be found in attachment six of our most recent press release and are available on our website with the link to this conference call. Today's comments may also contain forward-looking information and any forward-looking information is not a guarantee of future performance and actual future financial performance and operating results can differ materially depending on a number of factors and assumptions. Forward-looking information and the risk factors and assumptions are described in further detail in our fourth quarter earnings press release that we issued this morning, as well as our most recent Form 10-K, and all of these documents are available on CEDAR, EDGAR, and on our website, so I'd ask you to please refer to those. So so just before I turn it over to Brad for his opening remarks, once he's done and and he and Dan go over our financial and operating performance for the quarter, we will be moving to the Q&A session as usual. So with that, I'll turn it over to Brad. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our fourth quarter 2021 earnings call. I hope each of you are doing well and are in good health to start the new year. As we bring 2021 to a close, well, at least from a reporting point of view, I would like to repeat something I said on the third quarter call. Wow, what a difference a year makes. I'm very pleased to report that we finished the year strong with another quarter of solid operating performance and strong financial results. In 2020, we focused heavily on ensuring Imperial was well positioned to take advantage of the market recovery through ongoing focus on reducing our cost structure, improving our reliability, and progressing high return brownfield projects. And you can now see the benefits of those efforts in our 2021 results as we continue to make the most of the improving and attractive business environment. This performance was reflected in all business lines, although we did see some pretty challenging weather to close out the year. And as it has all year, this performance allowed us to return a material amount of cash to shareholders in the quarter, and in fact, to accelerate the pace of these returns, resulting in around $3 billion for the full year, the highest level in the company's history. Throughout 2021, we continued 
to manage the ongoing challenges due to COVID-19. Our focus on maintaining the health and safety of our workforce was key, not only in minimizing disruptions to our operations, but also, and most importantly, in ensuring the well-being of our people. From a business perspective, we saw a continued demand recovery throughout the year and significant improvement in commodity prices, both of which are reflected in our results. Over the next few minutes, Dan and I will detail the results of what was a very strong quarter. So now let's turn more specifically to the fourth quarter results. Earnings for the fourth quarter were $813 million, and our cash from operating activities was over $1.6 billion, both somewhat lower versus the third quarter. Earnings were negatively impacted by approximately $160 million in one-time non-cash events. And cash flow excluding working capital effects was up more than $100 million, reflecting our strong operating performance and the strong commodity fundamentals in the quarter. Crude prices continued to strengthen through the quarter while both downstream and chemical margins remained strong. Our upstream continued to perform very well, delivering its highest annual production in over 30 years. And our downstream performed well also. We saw utilization of 97% for the quarter and higher product sales as demand continued to recover. Our chemical business closed out the year with another strong quarter and delivered the highest full year earnings in over 30 years. As expected, polyethylene margins did soften somewhat in the quarter, but remained strong and supported the best ever full year earnings for this business. So in total, our strong cash flow generation in a period of strong commodity prices was underpinned by continued strong operational performance. We were able to take advantage of attractive markets for crude, refined products, and chemicals. And all of this contributes to a very strong cash position, which continues to allow us to deliver on our priority of returning cash to shareholders. In the quarter, we returned $950 million to our shareholders in the form of dividends and accelerated share buybacks. For the year, we generated about $5.5 billion of cash from operating activities and around $4.5 billion of free cash flow. And we put this cash to good use. Early in the year, we announced the largest quarterly dividend in the company's history and reinstituted our share buyback program, which we suspended in 2020 due to the business environment brought on by the pandemic. And in the fourth quarter, we announced an acceleration of the renewed NCIB. All of this resulted in the return of nearly $3 billion of cash to our shareholders in the year. 2021 marks the 27th consecutive year of dividend increases. And you would have seen us continue this trend with the announcement this morning of another significant dividend increase of $0.07 cents per share, which is around 26%, our largest dividend increase in history. This equates to a 55% increase since the beginning of 2021 and represents an increase of almost 80% since the beginning of 2019. 
Going forward, following yesterday's completion of our accelerated NCIB and today's announcement of a sizable dividend increase, we remain committed to returning surplus cash to shareholders and are actively evaluating our next steps in this area, including a potential substantial issuer bid. We are unwavering in our commitment to a reliable and growing dividend and delivering further shareholder value and returns. I'll now turn it over to Dan to go through our financial performance for the quarter in more detail. Thanks, Brad. Getting into the financial results for the full year, we recorded net income of almost $2.5 billion, an increase of around $3.2 billion, excluding the one-time $1.2 billion non-cash impairment charge related to our unconventional business that we recognized in the fourth quarter of last year. For the fourth quarter of 2021, our net income was $813 million. Excluding identified items, net income increased almost $800 million from the fourth quarter of last year. This increase was primarily driven by stronger realizations in the upstream and improved margins in the downstream and chemicals. Now, if we look sequentially, our fourth quarter income of $813 million is down about $95 million from the third quarter of this year. As Brad noted, the fourth quarter results include a number of unrelated one-time non-cash charges totaling about $160 million. Looking at each business line, the upstream recorded net income of $545 million, up $20 million from our third quarter net income of $524 million as a result of higher realizations and volumes, partly offset by higher operating expenses driven in part by mine progress spend at curl and higher energy costs. Upstream results included a number of one-time charges of about $85 million. The downstream recorded net income of $250 million, down $43 million from net income of $293 million in the third quarter. Downstream results included a number of one-time charges totaling around $75 million. Chemicals continue to demonstrate strong performance in the fourth quarter, with net income of $64 million, down about $60 million from the third quarter of this year as polyethylene prices moderated from the extremely, extremely strong levels seen in the third quarter. Moving on to cash flow, in the fourth quarter, we generated over $1.6 billion in cash flow from operating activities, an improvement of about $1.3 billion from the fourth quarter of 2020. Our free cash flow for the quarter was just over $1.2 billion. Looking at the full year, our strong results in capital discipline delivered free cash flow of almost $4.5 billion. As we start 2022, strong commodity prices, along with our continued cost and capital discipline, position us well to generate very substantial free cash flow going forward. Moving on to CapEx, capital expenditures in the fourth quarter totaled $441 million, up from $195 million in the fourth quarter of 2020. Full year capital expenditures were in line with revised guidance at just over $1.1 billion. Capital spending in 2021 was focused on progressing key projects such as curl input tailings infrastructure and the Sarnia products pipeline. We also continue to invest in improving volumes through projects like the solvent assisted laser project 
at our Mekesis Cold Lake plant and improving the efficiency and cost structure of our operations by continuing to invest in projects like our autonomous haul truck fleet and related infrastructure, as well as installing our first boiler flue gas heat recovery unit at Curl. In December, we announced our 2022 capital guidance at $1.4 billion, reflecting our strong ongoing capital discipline. In the upstream at Curl, capital spending includes the ramp up of the Curl in-pit tailings project, ongoing investment in our autonomous truck fleet, and installing additional boiler flue gas heat recovery units. At Cold Lake, we will work on developing phase one of our Grand Rapids project, continue to progress solvent-assisted laser, as well as infill drilling and well work. In the downstream, spending includes the completion and commissioning of the Sarnia Products Pipeline and spending on the Strathcona Renewable Diesel Project. We will have an opportunity to discuss these plans in more detail at our investor day. Shifting to shareholder distributions, as I mentioned earlier, we generated about $4.5 billion of free cash flow in 2021. This performance supported record returns of almost $3 billion of cash to shareholders, including returns of about $950 million in the fourth quarter alone. We repurchased 17.5 million shares for $761 million in the quarter under an accelerated program, bringing our full year buyback to 56 million shares for over $2.2 billion. We paid dividends of $188 million in the fourth quarter and a total of over $700 million for the full year. Despite these record distributions, we ended the year with about $2.2 billion of cash on hand. Consistent with our previous announcement, we continued our accelerated NCIB purchases in January 2022 and completed this program on January 31st. We also declared an increased dividend of $0.34 cents per share payable on April 1. Furthermore, as Brad mentioned, in light of our current cash balance and the strong business outlook, we are actively evaluating options for additional shareholder returns, including a potential substantial issuer bid. Now I'll turn it back to Brad to discuss our operational performance. Thanks, Dan. As we switch our focused operations, I would sum up the fourth quarter as being another strong quarter operationally across all business lines. In the upstream, we averaged 445,000 oil equivalent barrels per day, which is an increase of 10,000 barrels per day versus the third quarter, but is down 15,000 barrels per day versus the fourth quarter of 2020. This decrease year on year was due mainly to an early start to winter. In fact, Alberta saw several weeks of extreme Arctic temperatures in the last half of December and early January, which, as you know, presents some operational challenges, particularly in our mining operations. At our investor day in late 2020, we communicated our intent to focus the upstream organization's efforts on maximizing the performance of our existing asset base. And given how the assets performed in 2021, I would say we are on that strategy and achieving it, and it's also paying off for us. In fact, our full year 2021 production was 428,000 oil equivalent barrels per day, which is the highest in over 30 years and exceeded our guidance for the year. I would also note 
the current market environment and the strong commodity prices we are seeing. While in the fourth quarter there were a number of factors which drove the WTI-WCS spreads wider, such as the phase startup of Line 3 and other smaller disruptions, we are now seeing narrower spreads and are well positioned to continue to benefit from this. So now let's move on and talk about curl. Production at curl in the fourth quarter averaged 270,000 barrels per day gross, which was down 4,000 barrels per day versus the third quarter and 14,000 barrels per day lower than the fourth quarter of 2020. As I mentioned, Western Canada saw an early start to winter, feeling the effects of a deep freeze that started late in the fourth quarter and extended into the new year. And as we have talked about in the past, extended periods of extreme cold weather can be challenging for our operations, and particularly mining. The result of these weather challenges was lower than expected production in the fourth quarter at Curl, with an estimated impact of around 13,000 barrels per day in the quarter, or just over 3,000 barrels per day on a full year basis. The impacts of the extreme cold weather continued to linger into January, but I'm pleased to say that as of now, our operations have essentially returned to normal. I would also like to take a moment to recognize the tremendous dedication of our workforce, whose efforts to safely maintain our operations in these extreme conditions and mitigate the production impacts are a huge credit to the organization. Despite the weather impacts, total full-year production for Curl was 263,000 barrels per day, the highest in the asset's history. This compares to 222,000 barrels per day in 2020, an increase of 41,000 barrels per day for the year. And as Curl continues to deliver on its production and reliability commitments, including the elimination of the second annual turnaround a full year ahead of schedule. Looking forward, we continue to be excited about Curl's potential as we make progress on our accelerated journey to 280,000 barrels per day. And despite the slower start to the year, we reiterate our 2022 guidance of 265 to 270,000 barrels per day, reflecting the next step in production growth at the site. I would also note that this 2022 guidance reflects one major plan turnaround expected to be executed in the second quarter of the year. I'd like to wrap up our discussion about Curl with some comments about unit costs, another positive reflection of the asset's performance. As I mentioned on our third quarter call, continued pressure from higher energy prices and the strength of the Canadian dollar presented some challenges in meeting our unit cash cost target of US $20 per barrel. In 2021, higher energy costs and the strength of the Canadian dollar represented approximately an incremental $2.50 per barrel relative to 2020. However, if we normalize for energy costs and Forex, both items outside our control, our unit costs would have achieved a reduction of almost $1 per barrel from 2020 and been below the target of U.S. $20 per barrel. Close management of unit costs 
continues to be core to our approach to maximizing profitability at Curl, and we remain focused on achieving further unit cost reductions as we go forward. So now let's talk about Cold Lake. Cold Lake has been a really positive story throughout 2021. Production for the quarter averaged 142,000 barrels per day, which was up 7,000 barrels per day versus the third quarter, and 6,000 barrels per day higher than the fourth quarter of 2020. This strong performance reflects the benefits of our continued focus on production optimization and reliability. And while Cold Lake experienced the same stream same extreme cold temperatures in December, it did not have a material impact given the nature of this operation. For the year, production averaged 140,000 barrels per day, exceeding our updated guidance of 135,000 barrels per day. Our full year production at Cold Lake was driven by significant improvement to the base performance, highlighting the effectiveness of our strategy to focus on reliability and optimization. We also saw the benefits from recent drilling investments in our operations, which contributed almost 2,000 barrels per day of production for the year. We are looking forward to continuing to benefit from these improvements in the coming year. And for 2022, we have issued guidance of 135,000 to 140,000 barrels per day for Cold Lake, which includes a typical plant turnaround in the second quarter. Now at Syncrude, Imperial's share of production for the quarter averaged 79,000 barrels per day, which was up slightly from 78,000 barrels per day in the third quarter, but down 8,000 barrels per day from the fourth quarter of 2020. Unplanned downtime, coupled with extreme cold weather, presented challenges for these operations in December, as detailed in the statement issued by the operator Suncor earlier in January. We estimate the impact to be close to 5,000 barrels per day, our share in the quarter. Imperial's share of full-year production averaged 71,000 barrels per day, an increase of 2,000 barrels per day versus 2020. As the ownership continues its focus on improving asset reliability, we reiterate our guidance for 2022 of 75 to 80,000 barrels per day. This guidance reflects the impacts of planned maintenance in the second quarter and a major coker turnaround in the third quarter. 2021 also marked a change in the operating structure at Syncrude, and we remain confident that this change will better support the continued focus on improved reliability and cost performance for this asset. So now moving to the downstream. We refined an average of 416,000 barrels per day in the fourth quarter, which was up 12,000 barrels a day versus the third quarter of 2021, and up 57,000 barrels per day versus the fourth quarter of 2020, reflecting the strong operating performance and the continuation of demand recovery we have seen throughout 2021. The fourth quarter throughput equates to a utilization of 97%, which is the highest fourth quarter utilization in over 30 years. This represents a 3% increase over the third quarter, bringing our full year utilization to 89%, which is right on the guidance we provided for 2021. And for the year, 
Throughput was 379,000 barrels per day, up 39,000 barrels per day versus 2020. Looking forward to 2022, we have a fairly light turnaround year planned, supporting our increased guidance for 2022 of 92 to 94% utilization. Looking at cash operating costs, our downstream business continues to do an exceptional job in managing its operating costs. Full-year cash operating costs were down $70 million compared to 2020 and down even more when normalizing for the rising energy prices we saw in 2021. This decrease is especially notable because over the same period, our refining throughput increased by 39,000 barrels per day and our petroleum product sales grew by 35,000 barrels per day. So we are refining more barrels and selling more product and we're doing it at a lower absolute cost. And again, this was a year of significant turnaround activity and higher energy costs. Petroleum product sales in the fourth quarter were 496,000 barrels per day, up 11,000 barrels per day from the third quarter on continued strong demands and up 80,000 barrels per day from the fourth quarter of 2020, reflecting significant recovery from the pandemic-related softness of 2020. We continue to see industry demand trends pretty consistent with what we saw through 2021. With gasoline and diesel demands hovering around 90 to 95% of historical levels and jet continuing to improve, averaging around 70 to 75%. However, as mentioned, jet continues to be somewhat volatile as we experience subsequent waves of COVID-19 and the associated restrictions related to travel. Also of note is that our jet sales volumes continue to track about 10% ahead of industry, predominantly related to competitive gains we were able to capture in 2021, increasing our overall market share. And with respect to downstream margins, unlike crude prices, our fourth quarter crack spreads continue to hover around the middle of the five-year band, which reflects fairly steady improvement over early 2020 at the onset of the pandemic. And despite ongoing demand volatility, our continued focus on reliable and efficient operations ensures we are capturing as much value as possible in the current downstream pricing environment. Looking forward to 2022, the outlook is positive as we continue to see improvements in the market environment driving further strengthening of our downstream business, which supports our continued journey back to typical earnings and cash flows for this business segment. <clears throat> and I'll wrap up our operating results with chemicals. 2021 was an incredible year for this key part of our business, and I just can't say enough about how pleased I am with the performance it delivered, making the most of capturing a very favorable market environment. The fourth quarter, was another solid quarter. Earnings in the fourth quarter were $64 million, supported by continued strong production, reliability, and margins. Fourth quarter earnings were down $57 million versus the third quarter, which I will, will remind you was the highest quarterly earnings in over 30 years. 
This reduction was driven largely by expected softening of polyethylene margins. And while margins did soften somewhat in the quarter, they still remain quite strong, and that sets the chemical business up well for a strong 2022. Full-year chemical earnings were $361 million, $74 million higher than the previous full-year record of $287 million set in 2015. An outstanding year for our chemical business, which continues to be a differentiator for us. The integrated nature of our business supports a long history of profitability, even in a year like 2020, and we expect this to continue even as we see polyethylene prices normalizing somewhat. And just before wrapping up, I wanted to highlight a couple of other important items of note. First, we announced our plans to market our interest in XTO Energy Canada a few weeks ago, which, have, as you will recall, is our unconventional business. We have been quite open recently about where this business fits into our longer-term upstream strategy, and our decision to market the assets is fully consistent with this. To be clear, though, no decision has been made to sell these assets, but in our view, we felt it was appropriate to test the market in the event there is an opportunity to generate increased value through a potential sales transaction. I also wanted to highlight the announcements we made recently on Imperial's plans for further reductions in greenhouse gas emissions intensity over the next decade to help support Canada's net zero goals. Imperial has set a 2030 goal to reduce scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions intensity of our operated oil sands facilities by 30% compared with 2016 levels. This target builds on our previous 2023 commitment, which we are well on track to deliver. I'm quite proud of the progress we've made to date in reducing the intensity of our greenhouse gas emissions at our operated oil sands assets, and our recent announcement is another step in our journey to net zero at our operated oil sands assets by 2050. So in closing, another strong quarter, which brings to a close a year of very strong results, both operationally and financially. As you have heard me say before, the decisions we have made and the work the organization has done over the past several quarters is allowing us to take maximum advantage of the prevailing market conditions. And this performance supports our ongoing commitment to drive increased shareholder value and our continued commitment to shareholder returns. As you heard Dan and I mentioned, in 2021, we returned nearly $3 billion to our shareholders via our reliable and growing dividend and share buybacks. And we are also excited to reinforce our commitments to sustainability, not only with our recent announced greenhouse gas intensity reduction target, but with our participation in the Pathways Initiative, an unprecedented industry alliance. Our long-term focus on reducing our environmental footprint through investments in things like solvent technologies and carbon capture and storage underpin our confidence in meeting these goals. Looking forward to 2022, we continue to see support for commodity prices and fully expect to deliver another year of strong operational performance 
underpinning our ability to take utmost advantage of the current market conditions. We will continue our focus on reduced emissions and sustainability, including our plans for renewable diesel at our Strathcona refinery. We will remain disciplined with respect to spending levels, both operating and capital. And we will also continue to return cash in excess of these needs to our shareholders. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you for your continued support. I hope you're as excited about 2022 as we are. Thank you, and back to you, Dave. Okay, we're going to move to the Q&A now. <clears throat> we did have a couple of uh, questions pre-submitted, which we'll get to first, and then we'll go to the live Q&A line. So the two questions came from Phil Skolnick at 8 Capital. The first one, what are you and ExxonMobil looking for in order to make a decision on marketing the XTO assets? Would you consider selling it in pieces? Yeah, thanks for that question, Phil. And and as as you know, we, we announced earlier um, in January our intention to market those assets jointly with, with ExxonMobil. Uh, and in fact, we, we progress those activities now, have the data room open. Um, there, there's a lot of interest. And, you know, our, our decision around marketing was really driven by um, the strategic work we have done over the last couple of years where we have prioritized our focus on, on certain assets in our portfolio and, uh, and, and really prioritized our capital as well. And, and through that work, we, we have concluded that we have uh, higher value opportunities uh, with, our, with our core mining uh, assets. And as such, um, you know, you'll recall we took an, an impairment decision in, in late 2020 uh, for some of the unconventional assets that we had um, not included in our development plans. So again, this is really um, a continuation of, of that strategy. We have not made the decision to sell, though, so we're going to be looking at, um, you know, how do we create maximum value for, for us, for our shareholders. Um, prior to, uh, to putting the, the assets in the marketplace, we had received uh, several unsolicited offers uh, for, for those assets. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation that's occurring in the, in the Motney and Duvernay shale uh, resource plays. And, uh, you know, so it's really the, the culmination of all that that, uh, that drove us to put those assets in the marketplace. And, uh, and, and we'll see what we get back. Um, we, it is a very large resource uh, play, um, you know, over 650,000 net acres. Um, and, and so from a, uh, you know, from a, a, a transaction structure, we, we are open to, uh, to selling it in pieces. Um, you know, we, we do know that there are some industry players that are primarily focused in the Motney. There's others that are primarily focused in the Duvernay. Um, there's some that are in both. Uh, so, you know, we, we are open to considering uh, alternate uh, structures for the transaction. Um, the key is going to be what delivers the most value and, and how does that compare 
to our view of value if we were to continue to uh, to retain the asset and, and develop it further ourselves. Um, so uh, so we're we're excited to see uh, what comes out of the data room and, and the bids, um, you know, in another month or so. Thanks for that question. Okay, and Phil's uh, follow-up, I think, Dan, I'll direct uh, straight to you, is are you still considering an SIB given the dividend increase? Yeah, thanks, Phil. We talked about this, uh, you know, in, in, our, in our kind of prepared remarks, uh, but, but it's probably worth um, talking a little more. I mean, the short answer is yes, we are, we are considering an SIB. And, and just stepping back, you know, we, we have a long-standing philosophy, I think, as you know, to return surplus cash to shareholders. You know, it starts with a reliable and growing dividend, which we've demonstrated over many years. And, and of course, this morning's announcement of a sizable increase is, is another step in, 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 that, um, in that direction. Um, after, you know, dividends, our next vehicle for surplus cash is the NCIB. NCIB, it's simple, efficient, and flexible. Um, we used it certainly to the max in, in 2021. We had a, a program we restarted in, in May, June. We, we, we bought a bunch of shares. We launched a new program in June. We ended up accelerating that to, to wrap up early. Um, over the course of 2021, we repurchased uh, over $2.2 billion through that program. And just, uh, you know, January 31st, yesterday, we wrapped up that program with our acceleration through January 31st of another incremental $450 million, so over 13 months, about, about $2.7 billion uh, through the NCIB. But as you know as well, we're limited to 5% of outstanding shares annually in that program. Um, our next renewal would be late June uh, of this year. We, we certainly plan to, to do that. Um, but looking at our cash balances and our outlook, you know, for, for, for strong cash flow, um, we're anticipating taking action on shareholder returns, additional action before renewal of the NCIB in late June. We haven't made a final decision, but we've certainly heard the market's feedback, um, strong preference uh, for an SIB, and, and that's our lead case at this point. Okay. Um, operator, uh, can we turn it over to you now, please, to go to the live Q&A line? Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Our first question comes from Dennis Fong with CIBC World Market. You may proceed with your question. Hi, good morning, and, and thanks for taking my questions. Uh, the first one maybe follows in line with uh, Dan's comment there on, um, on returning cash back to shareholders. Obviously, Imperial Oil is in an enviable position with respect to leverage. Can you maybe describe what you view as the ideal capital structure, for, in your opinion, for the company and how we should be thinking about that, obviously balancing the available free cash flow that you're generating, the relative capex that you have already outlined with your 2022 guidance, as well as uh, the various other levers that you have in returning cash back to shareholders? Thanks. I'll, I'll turn that question over to Dan. He can build on his comments about uh, about shareholder returns. Yeah, look, you know, we, we could, uh, we have about $5 billion of debt, which we've had for, um, you know, uh, pretty been stable for, for, for a number of years. We, we feel comfortable with that level of debt, you know, given our, our leverage uh, on an absolute basis and relative to peers is low. Um, it's not, it's not um, our first move to repay the debt. So uh, to the extent we have surplus cash, um, are, are really, you know, once we've exhausted the NCIB, 
it's, it's use other mechanisms to, to return that to shareholders. So, um, you know, that's maybe a short answer, but I think, I think that is um, that in a nutshell. And you see we have a fairly, as I mentioned in my remarks, a fairly modest uh, capital program in 2022. And, you know, at current price levels, we, we anticipate generating significant free cash flow in addition to, you know, a pretty significant cash balance uh, right now. Great, great, thanks. And my second question here is uh, more on the upside, so either maybe directed to you, Brad, or to Simon. Um, just with respect to Cold Lake, you've obviously seen fairly strong um, production levels uh, and, and a lot of success from the optimization side. You mentioned a little bit around a laser and the, the utilization of solvents. Just curious as to how the optimization is, is continuing, what maybe some of the next steps happen to be, and what does that potentially mean for a project like Grand Rapids, which was potentially going to ut utilize existing uh, steam infrastructure in the area? Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that question, um, Dennis. Um, you know, we, we are super excited about the progress we're, we're making at Cold Lake. Um, you know, we, we have put a lot of focus into optimizing the, the reservoir performance of, of those assets. We've continued to focus on reliability as well. And then, you know, as, as you mentioned and, and we've commented on this call and in the past, um, you know, we continue to look for ways to employ um, kind of next generation solvent technologies uh, like laser that achieve multiple objectives for us. Um, you know, they, they do have the benefit of enhancing reservoir performance, uh, but equally important, they reduce the greenhouse gas emissions uh, because they, they have lower uh, steam and energy intensity. And so, you know, it is a continued strategy of ours to continue to, um, to deploy uh, solvent technologies to enhance Cold Lake's performance. Um, you know, next on the docket is, uh, is Grand Rapids Phase 1, uh, which will uh, employ SA-SAG-D technology. And then looking a little bit longer term, uh, we, we're evaluating application of a cyclic solvent process, uh, we refer to a CSP, which allows us to replace steam with propane and, and achieve even further reductions in, uh, in greenhouse gas intensity while improving reservoir performance. And in the case of CSP, uh, we've, we've already piloted that uh, quite successfully and, and so now looking at the further application. So, you know, I think over, over the, the coming quarters and, and years, you're going to continue to hear us talk about the evolution of these technologies how they're integral to both our, our reservoir optimization, but also our, our greenhouse, greenhouse gas intensity reduction objectives. And, and I'm sure in our, in our upcoming investor day, we'll spend some more time talking about each of those and, and how they fit in. Uh, thanks, thanks for the question. And again, we're, we're very excited about, uh, about our actions at Cold Lake. Thank you. Our next question comes from Anav Gupta with Credit Suisse. You may proceed with your question. Um, 
Hey guys, my first question is more on the on the renewable diesel side. I'm just trying to understand if you can give us, I'm, I'm sure you've done some preliminary work, what kind of feedstocks are you looking to run? Soya bean, canola, I mean, you are in that vegetable oil belt, so is it primarily going to be vegetable oils? Can you bring in some used cooking oil, uh, some animal fats? And so if, you, if, if I could get some understanding of that. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that question. And, and again, we're, we're, we're going to spend some more time at Investor Day describing the, this project. But um, kind of at, at the, the foundation of, of your question, fundamentally this is going to be plant-based materials. Um, we're, we're, we're not looking at, um, you know, animal fat or, or, or other sorts of, uh, of supply. It's, it's very much focused on... Um, on plant-based materials that are sourced um, generally in the region. Um, you know, we haven't talked explicitly about um, the, the specific type of plant. We're, we're still in commercial discussions with potential suppliers, um, and, and so those, those uh, commercial discussions are still sensitive around the type, uh, but, but needless to say, there's, there's an abundant supply of of available materials and, and good options for us that are going to allow us to, uh, you know, ultimately produce 20,000 barrels a day of a very uh, competitive supply. Um, and, and so we're, we're really excited about this project, um, you know, uh, driven by kind of the overall benefits it'll bring to, uh, to Canada in, in achieving, uh, you know, achieving our, um, you know, total emissions objectives of net zero by 2050. This, this is a key contributor to reducing scope three emissions. So, so um, more to come, Manav. Perfect. And again, um, keeping on the line of emission reductions, you and others have obviously committed to carbon capture and sequestration. It was a big project kind of which was announced, but like, how is it progressing? How are the partner commitments? What are you looking from the government in terms of help? I mean, it's, a, it's an excellent project, but we don't get too many details on that carbon capture and sequestration project. So if you could just help us understand how the discussions are progressing between you and all the others and the government for that project. Yeah, thanks for the question. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, we're, we're making, I think, really, really good progress. Um, you know, th this is a very complex undertaking uh, to achieve net zero by 2050. Uh, and, and the alliance we've established uh, amongst the member companies is unprecedented, the level of, of cooperation. The amount of investment that will ultimately be required to get to net zero, you know, we've, we've estimated as, as 70, 75 billion dollars, uh, from now to 2050. So, you know, it's a huge undertaking. It's not just one, um, single project. It's multiple projects. Um, there, there's a foundational project, which is building this large trunk line that will allow the transport of carbon uh, that's captured in the Fort McMurray area all the way down to the Cold Lake region uh, where we've applied with the government for access to poor space so we can, uh, so we can sequester the, the carbon there. Um, 
So, you know, building this large trunk line is, is a significant project, but then there's several other projects around the capture side at each of the individual sites uh, where we're, you know, pr producing uh, hydrocarbons today. Um, and then on top of that, um, you know, as I just talked at, at Cold Lake, you know, not only are we focused on um, capturing carbon and transporting it to a site to, to store it, but we're also looking at how can we fundamentally reduce the amount of carbon that's generated. And so things like solvent technologies are quite important there. So a lot of moving pieces, uh, if, if you will, to, uh, to progress this project. But, you know, we as, as an alliance uh, have been able to develop uh, preliminary plans around uh, kind of the sequence of the trunkline project, the, the carbon capture projects, as well as other technology initiatives. Um, you know, we, we will talk more about that on Investor Day, uh, but I think it's moving quite well. We are also uh, spending a lot of time with both the federal and provincial government around enabling steps that are necessary to progress these huge investments. You know, specifically, we are looking for investment tax credit and other uh, financial support from the government, uh, given the nature of these investments, the, the risks associated with them. So, so those discussions are, are ongoing. Um, the, the cooperation amongst the companies is just exceptional. Um, you know, in, in fact, as, as CEOs, uh, the six companies, we, we get together every single week and, and are having uh, discussions about the progress of the project, key priorities, how do we keep it moving along, you know, what are some of the key issues. And again, as I mentioned, we're also actively uh, engaged with, with the government. So as CEOs, we're, we're meeting directly with key officials, and certainly our, our teams are meeting uh, with, with officials and staffs as well at at both the federal and the provincial level. So, you know, it's all hands on deck. Um, th this is a huge challenge, but we think it's achievable and we think it's necessary. And so we're, we're gonna do what it takes. That is, that is great, color, and uh, hoping to meet you at an in-person uh, investor day in March. Thank you, thank you. Well, I, I look forward to meeting you as, as well. You know, unfortunately, uh, the, the Omicron virus has, uh, has continued to to delay many in-person meetings, but um, you know, as soon as as, as soon as the opportunity uh, affords itself, I very much look forward to it as well. It's been it's been a long two years, right? So, uh, right. So again, I look forward to meeting you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Doug Legate with Bank of America. You may proceed with your question. Oh, thanks. Good morning, everyone. I'm delighted to be on your call. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, Brad, I wonder if I could start with uh, ExxonMobil's announcement yesterday of combining their downstreaming chemicals business. I wonder if there's any read-through for Imperial as it relates to incremental cost-cutting initiatives or whether you follow suit. 
Yeah, thanks for the question, Doug. And it's 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 good good to hear your voice. It's been a while since we've connected. So uh, so thanks for yep. joining the call today. Um, you know, regarding ExxonMobil's announcements yesterday, um, super, super exciting news, um, you know, for, for ExxonMobil. And, you know, with ExxonMobil being a majority shareholder of Imperial, we benefit uh, from that relationship in many ways. Um, you know, we, we often talk about uh, the, the technology uh, benefits that we're able to leverage, kind of their global best practices, some some operational synergies and and I think all of that comes to play uh, with the announcement that was made yesterday um, you know we're we still have a lot of work to do to fully understand their plans and then see how we can best leverage them and adapt them but I, I fully expect um, that we will within Imperial see benefits uh, from you know their announcements, the strategies that that they're progressing, and like I said, we're we're super excited. Okay, thank you for that. My my follow up is, I don't want to get ahead of myself here for your upcoming analyst day. It seems Exxon has also decided to go virtual, and unfortunately, so I don't, I don't know what you ultimately decide. But um, but my question is specifically on Carol. When you laid out the kind of reliability trajectory um, towards 2025. Um, it seems that you're well on your way to that. You're probably a little bit ahead of the pace, I would guess. Is there any any thoughts you could you could provide in terms of the timing or the scale of what you ultimately see Carol doing on that original timeline? And I'll leave it there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. And, and you're right. You know, it is is an un unfortunate some of the the impacts that uh, that COVID has had on. Uh, on plans for investor day, you know, it impacted us last year, has the risk of impacting us this year. But, you know, we're, we're committed to, uh, to engaging, uh, you know, with our investors, our analysts, and, and sharing our, our forward plans. I think it's a very, it's a very positive story. Um, you know, and, and in terms of curl, you're exactly right. You know, each year, uh, over the last couple of years, we, we continue to set new records at Curl, and uh, you know, and so as I mentioned, you know, we just completed 2021 with uh, 263,000 barrels a day um, gross. Um, our guidance for next year is 265 to 270, um, which again moves us one step closer to to 280, which as as, as you accurately note we previously indicated that that we would get to 280 in that 2025 time frame but we are well ahead of that um, and and at investor day you know we'll lay out kind of a revised plan but 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 safe to say it's you know there's a lot of organizational focus on how we can get to that 280,000 level sooner than, than 2025, um, and and so you know some of the things we we've already done that will contribute are things like uh, moving to one turnaround per year, which we achieved a year earlier than than what we shared at last investor day. Um, we have multiple 
de-bottlenecking projects uh, that, that we're progressing. We're continuing to look at how do we optimize, uh, you know, ore recovery and, uh, and movement uh, in, in the mines. And, and then, you know, uh, taking full advantage of, of digital. Um, you know, I've talked on, on prior calls about how we're employing multiple um, you know, digital techniques that are adding real value to us, and, you know, that will also have beneficial effects on our production rates. So, you know, I, I still, I, I think 265 to 270 is, is, is appropriate for 2022, um, but, but you can see that's going to step us to 280 quicker than, than the 2025 timeframe. Um, and, and we'll, you know, Simon at Investor Day will give a lot more detail about those individual projects. Um, thanks for the full answer, guys. I look forward to it. Thanks again. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Our next question comes from Greg Party with RBC Capital Markets. You may proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks. Good morning, and thanks for the rundown. Is is always very thorough. Um, again, at the risk of probably jumping ahead, but but uh, you, you, Brad, you mentioned you know that there are steps you're taking to strengthen the downstream business. I'm just wondering if if there are any things you can kind of share, and whether the um, you know like I'm assuming the products pipeline you know fits into that mix. But any color there would be great. Yeah, thanks for the question, Greg. And, and, and you're right. We'll, we'll give a much more comprehensive story um, at uh, at Investor Day. But you know, it, it, it starts fundamentally with our cost structure. And as I mentioned, we've done a lot of things uh, around our cost structure, um, and and I feel really good ab about that. And then it's it, it's ensuring that we are leveraging. Um, you know all the synergy that we have uh, based on our our location of our three refineries, um, the integration that they have between themselves, but that they also have um, with our upstream production assets, um, and then you know ensuring that we maximize the flexibility of their run slate, you know, which has been key through the pandemic as we've had to adjust to much lower jet demand uh, and move that into other, other products. Um, and then look at where we have an opportunity to, to grow new uh, product outlets. Um, you know, we've talked about things we've done with asphalt uh, over the last couple of years and how that's, you know, an increasing part of our portfolio and again leverages on our on our, our heavy crude slate um, and then you know most recently of course you know the, the shred project and our ability to, to generate uh, you know renewable diesel at Strathcona will be a key um, strategic undertaking for us um, and then of course uh, you know the integration we have between uh, Sarnia Refinery and Sarnia Chemical Plant also allows us to, um, you know, further capture market and value. And uh, so again, you know, that that's kind of a broad brush on it. Uh, you know, John Wetmore uh, will, will give a much more comprehensive story at uh, at Investor Day. But uh, 
but exciting opportunities for us uh, in the downstream. Okay, no, terrific. And and maybe now uh, it's probably more of a question for Dan, but I mean, just as an observation, and we've been talking about a sieve for a long time, um, but and I totally understand where you guys are coming from in terms of evaluation, but but maybe Dan specifically, uh, would it be possible for you to just frame what the mechanics are? Like I've never worked through one of these. Uh, from that standpoint, and, and is it possible just to, again, enlighten us in terms of blackouts? Like, I'm not trying to pin you down on the date, per se, because you're sort of saying within the June time frame, but I just, I think I'd love to know what, what needs to go into this in terms of formalizing your decision process. Yeah, I mean, technically, the technicalities are the, uh, of an SIB, I mean, it requires a filing. It's, it's open for 35 days. Generally speaking, you, you, you shouldn't do it dur during a blackout period, which, which is typically sort of 30 days before you know, earnings release, you know, ballpark is when the blackout periods are. So that, that's, the, that's sort of the, um, the timing and technicalities of it. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Our next question comes from Neil Meta with Goldman Sachs. You may proceed with your question. Thanks so much, uh, Brad. And one of the core competencies that you've had and you brought into the business is, is your background around M&A, given uh, your prior role at, at Exxon. And just be curious on your own perspective of, of do you view Imperial as a logical consolidator, especially in light of the deferred tax uh, position and uh, your success in turning around operations and, and, uh, and scale and cost of capital? And, uh, and if so, how do you think about balancing that versus return of capital? So big picture question, but any thoughts would be uh, appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Neil, and, and good to hear from you. Um, you know, as we've said in the past, um, we continue to keep an open mind and open aperture around potential uh M&A opportunities. Um, it's, it's not our top priority. Our top priority uh, centers around our existing asset base um, and maximizing value from those assets, which I, I think we, we have demonstrated uh, success over, over the last couple of years and, and has us well positioned for the future with, you know, some very long life assets that um, you know, under under favorable markets, will continue to generate significant cash. And uh, so, when we look at potential M and A opportunities, we we need to convince ourselves that not only do they fit into a long term strategy, but but they are accretive and and they do compete for capital relative to. Um, you know the, the the brownfield investments that that we already have identified and, and are progressing. Um, you know we're we're not uh, driven to acquire something just to grow for the sake of growing. In fact, you know I think we've demonstrated our ability to grow with the existing asset base. Um, you know, take Curl for example. Um, you know, it was just just a couple years ago that that we were at or below 200,000 barrels a day. And so, you know, now this year we're at 263. We expect to grow that to 265 to 270. 
and and within a relatively short time frame, you know, I expect we'll be at at 280 or or higher. And so in a few short years, we we will have added 80,000 barrels a day of growth in our portfolio at a cost much much lower than you know any acquisition we we could have contemplated. So that will continue to be the the priority is you know making sure we first focus on our existing assets. But you know there is a lot of consolidation occurring and uh and you know we we want to make sure we are making thoughtful decisions and so you know we we look at uh potential acquisitions and evaluate them and we discuss them as a management team um and and you know that guides us accordingly um, so so hope that answered your question it's a helpful framework Brad and the follow up is just around cash taxes can you just remind us uh, team, how you're, how you're thinking about your deferred tax position. It's a good problem to have, to have a lot of earnings per share, um, but I would imagine that would also uh, take in, create some considerations that we need to uh, embed in the model going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And Dan and his team spend a lot of time thinking about that, and so I'll, I'll ask him to answer. Yeah, well, uh, you know, just for the record, we're against cash taxes, um, if you didn't know our position, but uh, we... <laughs> You know, we don't expect, well, in 2021, uh, actual, actual cash taxes will be, you know, quite small. 2022 will be sort of a transition year. And by 2023, you know, a current, you know, with current, you know, economic conditions, we'd expect to be, to be fully tax paying. So, you know, I think that's probably as much as I, I can tell you, but, um, well, on a, on a pure cash basis out the door, um, we should pay uh, less than the statutory rate in, in 2022, but by 2023, you know, we'll be full, fully tax paying on, on a cash basis. That's kind of where we are. Makes sense, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Menno Holosop with TD Securities. You may proceed with your question. Uh, good morning, everyone, and uh, thanks for uh, squeezing me in. Uh, most of my questions have been answered, but maybe I'll just uh, round things out with cost inflation. We have a pretty good sense of what that could look like for upstream across the, the industry, but what, what are you seeing in terms of cost pressures for downstream, and would you be able to provide uh, separate ranges for the two? Yeah, thanks for the question, and, and no doubt that is a uh, – is, is an emerging theme, you know, a, across industry and, and, and more broadly society right now with inflationary pressures from, from lots of angles. You know, I, I think, um, you know, fortunately uh, for us, uh, we, we haven't seen huge impacts of, of inflationary pressures yet. Um, but that's not to say we, we won't going forward. You know, probably the single largest uh, impact we've had is, is around our own energy costs. Um, you know where where we we purchase natural gas. Um, you know for for our facilities, um, and and obviously you know we all know what's happened there. But you know as uh, as, as somebody who also produces uh, energy, you know on balance that's that's still favorable for us. Um, you know, we're we're taking a close look at other consumable supplies and things like that, and you know, first making sure we we, we have access to the supplies and we're not 
impacted by any market shortages, um, but then also looking at you know how we can optimize the, the cost and and mitigate any any cost pressures. Um, you know where we could see you know more significant impacts would be things like um, you know steel, for example. But the good news is you know when when we look at um, our large projects, um, you know, for, for next year, you know, we talk about Sarnia Products Pipeline, you know, that project is essentially complete, steel bought, you know, a, a long time ago. Um, the Curl in-pit tailings project is, you know, has some steel associated with it, again, most of which has already been, been procured, but it's more of a... Um, you know, earth-moving project uh, than than anything. Um, very labor-intensive, and so we got to keep an eye on labor costs. But but again, so far we we haven't seen huge impacts there. So something we're going to keep a very close eye on going forward. Um, but but so far we we've, we've been able to manage it quite well. Thanks, Brad. I'll leave it there. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Bill Gresh with J.P. Morgan. You may proceed with your question. Uh, yes. Hi. Good morning. Um, my first question is on the on the dividend. Obviously, as you noted, two very large increases uh, in the past two years since the last time uh, you had an analyst day, um, and you had talked about you know a certain break-even level uh, at that time. So I, I was just wondering if you could refresh us on how you think about what that break-even would be today, and then. As you go forward, um, how do you think about sustainable levels of increases in the dividend um, with respect to, you know, a break-even framework or however else you might look at it? Thanks for the for the question. I think Dan will give an answer on that. Yeah, hey, Phil, we'll, we'll talk more about break-evens at the analyst day. I mean, last year we, we talked about, um, um, uh, you know, 36 bucks with, um, you know, uh, both including uh, sustaining capital and dividend, I think that that's still a, still a good number. So we're we're pretty far away away from that. So it is important to us, obviously, that we the dividend is a sustainable and growing dividend is, is our is our core kind of one of our core investor uh, offerings, and and we do think about that, and we and we feel given given our outlook that that, that the seven cents is, is warranted, and we feel quite good about it uh, going forward. Um, so I guess it's probably as much as much as I'll say, but you know, our break-even is is well below current prices, so um, that gives us a lot of comfort. And obviously, as we go forward, we continue to you know we've had energy inflation as has been discussed, um, but we continue to work on our base cost structure. Um, so you know, obviously, we want to get that break-even down as low as low as we can. Understood. Okay, thank you. Um, and then just one other question on um, the opex in the quarter. Obviously, it was up sequentially. Um, I wasn't sure if some of the one-time costs that you called out in any way um, flowed through OPEX or not, but just in general, um, you know, latest OPEX in 22. Yeah, of that, you know, 160 million, there, there's a lot of things in there. There's, there's deferred tax adjustments. There, there's LIFO and inventory changes. But there's, there's, there's also, I'd say, $60 million of OPEX in the upstream. Included in that number, so yeah, part part of that's uh, part part of that 160 is one-time opex from some smaller write downs of, of of a number of things. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. And I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Dave Hughes for any further remarks. All right. Well, thank you very much, and thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us this morning. As, as usual, if you have any further questions, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at any time. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.